Welcome to this special edition here in Paris on Forecast News, Editor-in-Chief Angie Lau. And we are here on the second day of the OECD Global Blockchain Policy Forum, where thought leaders and government leaders and policymakers and regulators from the highest levels are all converging here to discuss the innovation called blockchain technology. This is a conversation we were not even having uh, more than 11 years ago. It's 2019. And here we are today, and it is the core of the conversations. Uh, and Joe Lubin was on stage. He is co-founder of Ethereum and founder of Consensus. And he is what some in the industry would call an OG, um, certainly a, a pioneer in this space. Joe, welcome. And thank okay. you so much for joining us on Forecast News. Pleasure to be here. When we think about blockchain, it, it, it really, for a lot of people, it's this complex network of ledgers and technology and, and language that seems very confusing. Uh, but at the onset of it, when you first saw blockchain or heard about it, mm -hmm. what was blockchain about that tweaked your interest? Um, so first, technologically, blockchain is just... Uh, a new kind of database. Uh, it's a new kind of database that enables different actors using the system to trust, to be certain that uh, what they think is happening on the system is actually happening on the system and makes it very difficult um, if it's sufficiently decentralized for minority sets of actors to improperly manipulate the database. And uh, so we're so talking about essentially trust being baked yeah, into the system. It's a, a radical innovation in the trust architecture for the planet. Uh, it brings moves us from subjective centralized trust systems to automated and objective trust systems. The way uh, that currently in our legacy and traditional social construct to achieve yeah. trust is like this. I yeah. meet you, we sure. talk, we see if we're aligned in our interests, right. we kind of figure it out that way and or our networks talk to our other networks sure. and, and we figure out whether or not we can trust or each other. Or subjective government systems or subjective judicial systems. And so those things work reasonably well in many places. They work less well in some other places. Uh, where they work well, they can be aug augmented and work much better. Um, it, we have a project called Open Law that enables us to build legally enforceable blockchain-based agreements. And that will ch uh, probably save people and organizations enormous amounts of money in legal fees, essentially, because the agreements will be uh, available in templates and you'll be able to customize them. Uh, we're already using that in our business and you will likely have fewer disputes uh, and reduce the costs of, of legal fees by orders of magnitude. Probably. Well, we're really talking about efficiencies here as we create sure. efficiencies yep. through blockchain technology. Yep. So one of the conversations and the thread of many of the conversations that's happening here at OECD is the role of regulators, the role of policymakers, and certainly the role of governments as they take a look at this emerging technology in mm -hmm. its pure disruptive state and try to figure out where the guideposts are what, where to put the lanes um, right. and, and really how to um, create a, 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 an environment in which innovation can thrive. Right. Is this, in your mind, um, a fundamentally uh, adversarial relationship or do you feel like this is 
more collaborative in nature as we sit today? Um, so I, I think it's important to realize that the people, the technologists that created and continue to, to build out the technology are makers uh, and creators rather than breakers. Uh, they're drawn to the technology um, because they notice deficiencies in how legacy systems are, are constructed and they're very focused on building better systems for consumers, uh, building better systems for um, economic, social, and political systems around the planet. And so I, I think the, the creators, the technologists are um, ultimately heavily aligned uh, with the regulators that are trying to keep the consumer safe and, and um, make sure our, our systems are, are working well. Uh, so um, there is this innovation, this disruption, um, and it's going to be a massive sea change in how we architect systems on the planet. And so um, it's hard to understand how new ways of doing things will fit in certain rules. And it's hard right now to understand how they will enable the evolution of the, the laws and regulations that, that we operate under. And so that's going to be a discussion, probably years and possibly decades um, uh, that different jurisdictions have to have uh, about how this technology maps into how they want their societies to operate. Because technology is changing the rules. Sure. Always has. And it's changing the rules of business as well. Yeah, absolutely. How is it changing the business logic of the startup companies that, that you're, you've invested in at Consensus? You've, um, you've invested tens of millions uh, across uh, projects that affect almost every industry. Mm -hmm. In terms of the potential of the technology as you see it, sure. how is it changing the business logic fundamentally? Period. So, yeah, so the first thing to understand is that um, there is a new trust infrastructure for the planet. Uh, it's, uh, it's a baby trust system, it, it's incipient, um, but it's going to be the foundational trust system for the planet. Uh, so automated objective trust. Uh, once you have that sort of platform, and you need a maximally decentralized protocol architecture to get the trust characteristic. Uh, once you have that in place, uh, you can have groups um, collaborate, coordinate much better because they're, they're trusting that no uh, minority set of actors can improperly manipulate the system. Once you have this trust platform, you can have digital scarcity. Uh, and upon digital scarcity, you can build digital money, cryptocurrencies, you can build other forms of digital assets, whether they're fungible like stocks and bonds or non-fungible like playing cards or uh, some representation of bottles of wine or jewelry or, or real estate. And so the foundational constructs of our society are moving into natively digital form. Mm -hmm. um, so we've been living analog lives for millennia. Yes. Um, and for the last 60, 70 years, we've had some quasi-digital representations of things that are naturally analog, like money, uh, like identity. Uh, you know, I've got a I've got identity cards that index into some ledger that some government maintains. Um, so money, assets, legally enforceable blockchain-based agreements, um, securities, uh, other kinds of financial instruments, they're all now 
uh, just starting to get rendered in natively digital form. Mm -hmm. And that's going to squeeze all the delays and all the frictions out of our economy. Uh, so it's going to basically every time we do a transaction, touching on analog things like identity, um, like money, like securities, um, the delays in clearing and settlement are, are pretty enormous in many cases, days, weeks, month, uh, months in some cases, yes. like when you're settling a house or something like that. Yeah. Um, and if you can compact uh, all of those transactions into the, the clearing and settlement, into the instant of the transaction, you can uh, remove lots of the delays and frictions from society. And so uh, we're what we invest in um, is the development of the infrastructure. We have this new trust foundation. We have this decentralized finance or open finance revolution happening mostly on Ethereum right now, uh, where we're building the, the financial plumbing, the decentralized financial plumbing, lending, payments, uh, other sorts of instruments, um, essentially in trustless form uh, so that uh, uh, this financial plumbing layer will enable us to build out uh, different verticals uh, of the emerging decentralized economy. You're one of the founders of Ethereum. It's based in Switzerland. There's a, a direct- it's based uh, on planet Earth. Uh, it's based yeah. on planet Earth, um, but a, a nod to the environment um, that exists there. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, technologists and developers uh, aren't necessarily tied to any specific policy or any specific, you know, rules and regulations. It's almost like, they are. well, I mean, politically. Technologists and developers have their own very strong set of rules and procedures. Of and course, but politically driven, um, I'm uh, trading it's not agenda. necessarily controlled by government, although yes. it does operate within the context of different governments. But uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of rigor in the technology space, the space of developers. The criticism has been, though, governance. Um, where governance has, um, where does governance come into play for protocols and technology? It depends which one. Um, Bitcoin would claim that it really has no governance and that's its strength. Um, and that has led, in my opinion, to um, fairly slow innovation. Um, but Bitcoin is a currency uh, and so maybe slow innovation in a currency makes a lot of sense ethereum has a a crypto fuel which some people consider a cryptocurrency called ether which powers transactions on the system uh, enables people to pay for storage of data um, but it isn't a cryptocurrency ethereum is a platform for decentralized applications it's a software platform so it really needs to be agile it needs to evolve um, and so it needs people um, figuring out what the next important thing to do is and implementing that as quickly as possible. But there's no doubt that the price of Ether is fundamentally what drives the initiatives and the innovation that you're actually investing in at Consensus, that you're investing in. So the price the of Ether um, yeah. is important for the security of the network, uh, and it's absolutely important to draw talent into our ecosystem. So that, that is true. Um, you were talking about governance. Uh, I, I assume you mean of the Ethereum platform and yes. other platforms. Yes. Ethereum has really quite decentralized governance. Um, it's an open source system, so anybody can inspect the code, anybody can fork the code, anybody can even fork the running system. If people disagree 
uh, with how the system is operating with some of the, uh, the principles of the system with respect to immutability, for instance, if somebody has a different definition of how immutable a system should be, they can uh, fork the running protocol um, and you know, essentially two systems uh, nearly identical go off in their own different directions or, or they can fork the code base. And so we always relied on that characteristic to keep the core team honest. Uh, so if you know that people can just take your system and do something that they think is better with it, then you're gonna try to form more consensus uh, in the community around what it should be. That does get really murky and in the weeds for a lot uh, of people. Yeah, it's complicated. There, there are many different classes of actors in the Ethereum ecosystem and in, in blockchain ecosystems. We have um, the core developers, we have companies, uh, companies with lots of developers, independent developers, nobody pays them, but they contribute anyway. We have exchanges, we have the miners or the validators of the transactions, we have government regulators, and uh, uh, and so it's a, it's a complex discussion, but uh, it's still moving forward incredibly rapidly, even with this, um, so in the computer world, uh, Eric Raymond wrote a book called The Cathedral and the Bazaar. The cathedral is a sort of top-down, highly organized way of running software projects. And the bazaar represents open source projects where just people show up and they do what's necessary at the right time. And that's the way the Ethereum ecosystem works. And it's been working very well. At the end of the day, we are still looking for that one mass adoption, that killer app. People still talking about what is that proof of concept that will draw businesses and enterprises in? I think a recent study at the World Economic Forum showed that 57% of businesses that were surveyed are interested in applying blockchain innovation. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that holds a lot of people back is, well, how do we actually use it and ensure that it actually works for us? We talk about efficiencies, we talk about yeah. creating and unleashing all of these fantastic things as a result, but is it actually working? And what's your assessment? Sure, it's what's working. Your working remarkably well. Um, instead of a killer app, let's call it a killer paradigm shift for the planet. Um, we're, we're introducing a new trust infrastructure. We're in introducing a new open financial system for the planet. Uh, and so um, the first killer app is blockchain. Uh, it's being used everywhere. Um, it's a, a new database technology. Uh, the second killer app was cryptocurrency. It's um, making the lives of many people in many countries much better. It's enabling cross-border transactions. So it's a, it's a pretty sizable, thriving economy. Um, another killer app was the ability to raise money. Uh, mostly it happened on the Ethereum platform. We're working out the, the regulatory aspects of all that, but uh, uh, even with all the complications around ICOs, uh, which raise billions of dollars for, for small projects and essentially democratizing the raising of money and democratizing access to investing in projects. Um, even with all of that, uh, we've, seen, we've seen different forms, um, uh, essentially tokenized securities, and there, there's still lots of utility tokens that are being sold. Uh, you just have to do it uh, uh, with care, uh, with legal advice, and, and that market um, is still pretty enormous um, in terms of killer apps for consumers, we're starting to see games um, really kick in.
Uh, so on the Ethereum ecosystem and, and other ecosystems, games are probably going to be a, a pretty big breakthrough application. Um, we have applications in the music space. We have applications in journalism. Uh, and so um, we really need to, to fix the main issues, which are scalability, privacy, confidentiality, and usability. And once those get handled, uh, um, essentially this new decentralized World Wide Web uh, will be made use of by lots of people. Scalability is huge. Where are we in, in terms of the, the runway, the, the uh, roadmap, if you will, of scalability? So the Ethereum ecosystem is doing a really good job on that. We knew we were building a, a sort of prototype system. Uh, we knew that we wouldn't have much scalability with Ethereum 1, but we had to put it out there to prove that it, something like that could be built because most didn't believe that we could build it. Um, and we also needed to enable people to build decentralized applications and figure out what it means to build a, a company around a decentralized application uh, and to build just all this infrastructure. So. Even the decentralized finance stuff, which is enormously popular right now, it doesn't need enormous scalability. Uh, it's, it, you know, needs small smart contracts and it's not a huge number of transactions per second to build out all that infrastructure and to explore the solution space for, for decentralized finance. Um, with respect to actual transaction throughput per second, we have layer two technologies that anchor into layer one so that if anything bad happens on layer two, you have you can pull your assets back to the safety of layer one. Layer two technologies are enabling us to do tens of thousands of transactions per second for different applications. So whether it's uh, a state channels uh, type technology that enables point to point transactions off the blockchain that gets settled whenever necessary on the blockchain or whether it's blockchain systems themselves that have less rigorous consensus mechanisms so they can run at hundreds or, or thousands of transactions per second. They anchor into um, to Ethereum and, and they get uh, essentially the full trust characteristic. So that's one thing that's going on yeah. that's bringing hundreds of thousands of decentralized transactions per second right now to Ethereum. Games are bringing their own yeah. throughput. Um, but Ethereum itself, the base layer, um, is moving towards Ethereum 2.0. Uh, so probably in Q1 of 2020, we'll release uh, one phase of a three-phase rollout uh, that will essentially link to Ethereum 1 and enable us to move, uh, sort of evolve Ethereum 1 slowly into Ethereum 2. So that will provide a, a little more than a thousand times the, the throughput of Ethereum 1. And so if you essentially multiply all the layer two stuff that's going on with a thousand times. Uh, you've got uh, a pretty good, uh, pretty good headroom for the next few years. Uh, you could say that again, but you're really talking about the speed of innovation of this technology and sure. people are still kind of stuck at that layer one um, scenario in terms of understanding, but we're, sure. we're catching people up. So when we take a look at for example, the projects that you've invested in over at Consensus. Have you really almost theologically thought about investing as you kind of shape and shift the architecture of Ethereum from one to two and potentially three, four and so on and so forth? And how are you doing that? Um, well, we invest in things that we believe work right now and we invest in things that we, that we believe will progress the technology. Like what? 
um, in terms of the kind so, of projects so in terms of scalability. That we're seeing, yeah, absolutely. So, um, there's one really big project that we're investing in and helping token launch and network launch uh, that I can't mention right now. It's a it's a very important project for immediate scalability in the Ethereum ecosystem. Okay, and so you're you're investing in that. You're you're and tokenization. You you talk about sure. that. So in the backdrop of the conversation that we had this morning here at OECD. Uh, with regulators from the SEC and the EU and and, and the like, mm -hmm. uh, and we, you you often talk about the need to um, to acknowledge and work with uh, regulators and, sure. and think about compliance. Are you are you doing that? Yeah, all over the place. Um, so very much in the United States, uh, we had uh, Valerie from the SEC, um, and so we're uh, very familiar with many people at the SEC. Um, We've had voluntary conversations on, on many occasions, and uh, uh, I'm personally impressed with their understanding of the technology. And they, they're in a complicated situation where they need to apply um, securities law that has worked really well for the United States for decades. Um, and they need to uh, still foster innovation. They need to enable capital formation, and they, they don't want to um, kill blockchain uh, for America, uh, but it's a, um, it's a fine balance that they need to maintain. And I think they've done a pretty good job of adding clarity to the situation. Uncertainty is, is the most damaging. Um, I think we still need to move forward with that, but uh, essentially uh, at consensus and even at Ethereum, we believe we had clarity, um, decent amount of clarity with the help of, uh, of our legal advisors and our own legal staff um, for doing utility token launches and tokenized security launches. So we believe that we understood uh, what we could do all the way through. And um, so far that's panned out, um, but it, it, it's expensive uh, right now because uh, you, you really need uh, to pay for uh, opinions because it isn't uh, black and white yet. It's not black and white, but you're you're guiding it forward. Yeah. The next big thing in your mind that we can expect uh, from Joe Lubin um, and more, blockchain technology. More of the same from from Joe Lubin. Um, so we do so many things at Consensus. Uh, we're rolling out uh, in our commerce and decentralized finance group, our Codify group. Uh, we're rolling out a, a bunch of products. Uh, so those are going to be around payment systems, around different kinds of financial instruments, around utility token launches and uh, tokenized security launches and network launches. Uh, so I hope I didn't give too much away because we, <laughs> we've got a bunch of announcements uh, coming up. Uh, so lots on that front and, and we continue to um, work at the application layer in different industries and you know, building out journalism systems and music systems and um, add advertising technology systems and health systems. Uh, and I have the most fun, I think, when I work with the groups that are uh, at the protocol level. Uh, at the, mm. We have about 100 protocol engineers at Consensus, mm. and um, whether it's building out Ethereum One, uh, making it enterprise friendly, um, mm. as we've done a pretty good job of at this point, uh, through the Enterprise Ethereum Alliance, and now uh, we, we submitted our code base to the Hyperledger Foundation. So our 
Pantheon client or our Ethereum client, which mm. is a mainnet client and a private permission client, uh, is now part of the Hyperledger Foundation. So it's going to um, uh, be exposed to all those people that uh, didn't have as much access, uh, permissioned access uh, mm. to, to Ethereum from their bosses, uh, essentially. Uh, the most fun I have is uh, the Ethereum 2 stuff, I believe, uh, just pushing out uh, the envelope on, on what we can do. Well, the thing about blockchain technology um, in its purest form mm -hmm. is uh, really capturing the imagination of a lot of people mm -hmm. and a lot of industries. And there's no doubt that the technologists are giving everybody the tool to determine our collective futures. Joe, okay. thanks for being one of those architects. And thanks for this conversation today. Thank you. Thanks for joining us.